Well, it's a shame you had off today because had you been working, you may have gotten to cover the biggest story of the year. Lauren Bobart, our congresswoman in town, getting divorced down at the uh, Grand Junction. It wasn't today. It was not today. That was uh, Tuesday. I thought I saw it in the paper uh, today or or something somewhere. Well, the way the newspapers work is the, it's from the day before. Really? Yeah. Oh, like, I didn't realize that. It gets published the next day. <laughs> no, I think it, I, it might have been Julia or a buddy sent me a screenshot of it. Yeah. And I was just laughing today on my drive and I saw it. But So that wasn't today. No, no, that was earlier in the week. And our political reporter was supposed to cover it. And then he, he was out of town. He got stuck out of town. Couldn't get back. And, and so we ended up taking the sun story. But it was like the sun... The Daily Mail, there are a bunch of publications that came out for that nonsense. They came here to Grand Junction? Yeah. Really? Yeah. What a whirlwind she's been on, man. Dude, it's crazy. Did you see some of the stories out now that she was basically jerking off her boyfriend in the theater or whatever? (laughs) Did you see that? Well, yeah. I mean, I didn't didn't really realize that when it first came out. No, no, no. That came out later as more tape came out of... I wouldn't go so far as to say she was doing that. Well, just there's, there's over top of, the pants. Yeah. Ha- there's quite a bit of handsiness going on. Still, yeah. not the best look for a congresswoman. Well, you know. I mean, what's going through her head? Like, I, I just don't understand it. <laughs> like, honestly, I don't get it. It's like It gives me very little hope for the future just because our elected officials now are just acting so crazy. And yeah. I guess it makes for good TV and good news, but <laughs> it's also like, Jesus Christ. I don't know. This is the kind of like tabloid news I don't like as far as to cover. You know, it, it hit big. Like that, that Beetlejuice thing was everywhere. Um, so I guess it's good for, you know, from a business standpoint for a paper that covers her that like, you know, everybody wants to read about this incident, but I'm like, it's not substantive. But do you consider that tabloid, considering she's a public official? Like, tabloid, I think of celebrity gossip. Yeah. And I know politicians are now celebrities, <laughs> and it gets confusing. But, I mean, if you're going to put an elected official, and you're going to cast their vote, and they're going to represent you, I mean, personally, I don't care what Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie are doing, but I want to know if my congressman is, like, acting like crazy in a theater in public <laughs> and acting not like an example for our children or for the people. No, fair enough. She does represent us. I do agree she should be able to do anything she wants in her private life and, you know, go for it. We're all sexual beings, but this is literally, I mean, come on. You're in the most public place. You're in the major city in the state. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't mean it public or um, tabloid is in not worth people being able to find out about or whatever, or, or yeah, being on the level of what some C-list celebrity is doing, you know, it, it doesn't matter what she does in public because she does represent us. Um, I personally don't like covering it, though. <laughs> yeah, like, I feel bad for the people that had to go cover the divorce at the Justice Center. It's like, what's the story here? It's like, she's getting divorced. Join the club. Yeah, I mean, that's the, <laughs> that's the other thing. It's like, it's, yeah, it's a divorce for one of 430-whatever congressmen. <laughs> like, there's got to be half a dozen other ones who are getting divorced on the same day, you know, but, but she's, I don't know. You, she can't, you can't put yourself out the way she has as wanting all the attention for what you want to say or your cause or your, what, you know, you, you want to get your message out and she becomes this very public, con- you know, as a congressperson, like I said, 400 or whatever, some are more private and aren't as in the spotlight on TV and she chose to go that route to get her message out. And so it's kind of fair play when it comes back and 
she's the center of attention yeah, fair for enough. a bunch if, of stuff if she you doesn't want the, like. If you want the attention, here you go and have it. Uh, yeah. It's crazy. I mean, I wonder what you think about this because you're covering the news often and viewing it. It seems like the last few election cycles, we've gotten to a place where to be elected, you literally have to be kind of a narcissist and be self-promotional and be on social media and get a following and be outlandish. And that's what's going to get you press time and get you coverage. Right. So it's kind of weird in where we are because we've kind of created this own monster. Trump was a master of it in his elections, right? Using the media to get attention, using his own brand. And obviously, that's a little bit of a generalization in terms of everybody who's representing us, but people like Lauren Bobart are getting elected for these reasons. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a route to get elected. A lot of people, you know, try to go that route where you're outlandish and, and crazy. And sometimes it works out, like Trump and, and Lauren. Uh, Congressman, Congresswoman Bobert, but um, it doesn't always work. And like for her, I would argue it's working against her. So Tipton, who was the Republican congressman before her, would win by like 10 or 15 points every election, essentially. He was in the House for 10 years. Her first election, I think she won by four or five points, something like that. The last one, she barely won. This yeah, it is was a, really close last time. Yeah, 500 votes, something like that. This is a an R plus nine or ten district, so which means like two generic candidates, a Democrat, you know, John Doe Democrat versus Jim Beam Republican. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean that to be an alcohol thing, but um, <laughs> it's hard to come up with fake names. <laughs> fake man. names, yeah. Um, then the Republican should win by nine or ten points, and she's much closer than that. And I think so. I think some of it is like, yeah, if you can get a lot of attention that way, but some if it's not all attention's good. And I think if, um, you know, this upcoming election, the Cook Political Report has it as a toss-up. Uh, a lot of the polls that have, a lot of polls, there's been like three polls, but the polls that have come out have shown a close race, if not one where she's slightly behind. So, yeah, you can, modern politics, you can get a lot of attention by being crazy and all over social media and lowest common denominator, anything to get in front of a camera is one way to go, but... And that might get you somewhere, got her into Congress, but she's having a much tougher time holding on to that because of that. I think if she'd won, if she was just a standard pro-Second Amendment, very conservative congressperson, but who was not in the Beetlejuice. Little button up, you know. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> doing what she was doing or some of the other controversies she's walked into, you know, she'd probably be cruising to a much easier re-election than, than she is. So, you know, it's... it's I can't imagine she's going to run again after this. Or do you think she will? Well, if she wins, she will, I assume. Yeah. If, if she loses, she'll go on to Fox News or consulting or whatever whatever else is, is out there for her. I'm sure she'll have plenty of opportunities. But, yeah, I, I after the last election, there, there was like a few weeks where I was like, I wonder if she'll run again. Yeah, uh, and, or you know, transition to something else. But you know, she is. You like the onion? Yeah, I love I the onion. I saw this headline today. It was a weird thing. I had to Google to find this, but the headline for the onion is Lauren Bobart offers to personally jerk off any constituents she offended. <laughs> <laughs> but it's pretty close to the real headlines <laughs> without the insinuation. It's just, yeah. If you do some googling, there's some funny headlines out there. It's I, funny to me that that is what has really seemed to take people off because they're like a whole bunch of Republican county commissioners and elected, you know, electeds in this district have all 
not all, but a bunch of them have endorsed her primary opponent, and like this seems to have been the breaking point. I'm like, it, it's just curious to me that that was the breaking point versus anything else that has happened over the last four years. It, it was the showing up probably not in her right mind at a theater and getting into a bunch of trouble and that was that's that's it that's the breaking point that's just an interesting point (laughs) well you're right i think america has a tabloid kind of culture though like we love to see people in power show their humanistic side and in a sense like bring themselves down to collapse like i think it makes us feel better about ourselves it covers everything it it's interesting it's juicy it's humanistic but it also makes us kind of feel better about ourselves I guess in my case, it kind of makes us feel worse about society in general, but you're like, wow, at least I didn't do that kind of thing. You know, <laughs> It's like watching videos on Instagram of people falling or screwing something up. It gives you a little personal satisfaction. You're like, okay, at least I didn't fall on my face in front of everybody or something like that. So the fascinating characters to me in all of this is like, she is obviously important because she's the political figure and, and, but all these side characters who really shouldn't be the focus because they're just normal people, but like the guy she was on a date with right what has that been like for the last <laughs> month like yeah. he, he's a he owns a bar in aspen like i was like joking with another reporter and editor at the paper i'm like it was like the week after that i'm like can we go to that bar this weekend and just do like like what is the scene like there this weekend that'd be a great idea <laughs> I know. have you tried to call him no it, he's a private person like that's not well, uh, you can have if he wants to talk just to be like hey man you know no I, yeah i know and and other reporters might do that that's not really my beat yeah, yeah. the sentinel's really not covering it i mean i guess they are they covered a little bit of the drama but they don't cover her i mean we we cover newsworthy things about her we don't necessarily go into every time the police get called up there every time <laughs> how many times does this happen oh a few really yeah, Dang, I got to catch up on the news. I mean, not not. I don't want to make it sound like it's all the time, but like before the divorce, I think there were a few instances within her family that happened up there where other publications reported that police were called. Certainly, outside of that situation, she had, in her first election, like her mugshot was on billboards all over town. So she's she's had instances with uh, law enforcement in the past. And that's been reported by every. I think we probably did at some point report some of those things. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's it's tough to choose, and we have you know sharing agreements where if another paper like the Post or the Sun reports on something like that, we can maybe choose to to run it or run not. Run the wire but, story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I just thought it was funny. I think we've spent enough time on Miss Bovert. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's fine. Pretty I crazy. I'm happy to talk about it. Dude, the story today that really broke my heart was of the mayor pro term of Fruta. His son is over in Israel. Oh, yeah. And they just dropped him off, like, what, a couple weeks ago? Yeah. And they, they're in contact with him. Luckily, he's safe, but he's decided to stay over there so he can help out and stuff. Yeah, I think we have. there's another doctor from here who's over in Gaza and, like, they. You forget, um, or maybe you think being in such an isolated part of the state and part of the country that, like, you don't have a lot of connection to the rest of the world. But anytime one of these big international incidents happen, like when Ukraine happened, you know, there's a whole little Ukrainian community over here with people who knew people over there. And obviously with Israel, there's a lot of people who, um, in the Jewish community, who go over there. So, yeah, I mean, his son's over there. There's a few of them, yeah. I recommend everyone to read the story. It, It was really insightful because the parents were... I mean, obviously upset, but very articulate in talking about it and discussing the decision their son had made to stay there. 
And I just can't imagine what that must feel like because they clearly had a lot of respect for him wanting to stay and help. But I'm sure as shit, they want him on the plane home ASAP. I mean, they're going to go to bed every night wondering, oh, my God. Yeah. No, and Americans have died over there, I think 14 or 15 yeah. at this point. So like, like 2,000 people total already? Yeah. yeah, it's bad. It seems like it's going to get worse. Yeah. How do you find local people that have – do they reach out to you for that, or how did you guys track that down? No, that's – um. That's you. That's like the first thing <laughs> when an incident that's big enough internationally, we're like, we need, we need to do something locally on this. That's when we all put our heads together and say, all right, does anybody know anybody who's Jewish in this case? Um, and just reach out and and to the communities. It, it, and in in this case, like that uh, Matthew Bremen uh, is the mayor pro tem in Fruta. We cover Fruta. We've done at least one feature on him before. Not about israel or anything but so we knew he was a good contact for that we didn't know his son was over there but and then you just start kind of emailing everybody that you can think of and saying either do you know anybody over there or we know you go over there sometimes are you going have you been recently you know stuff like that and our publisher is actually really good he knows a ton of people in the community so he's usually like oh let me text so and so i know they've got some connection to israel or ukraine or wherever it happens to be i know it's not your exact beat and we'll move on to talk about that but i'm just curious how do you feel covering these kind of events or having your paper cover you know tragedy is so tricky in journalism because you want to tell the story so people understand the gravity of it you know like two thousand people in just a couple days died and and what's going on but at the same time you don't want to at least from my perspective you don't want to expose the victims and take advantage of them to create a narrative that's dramatic and selling papers right so there's a very there's a professional way to do it obviously but how do you feel about just covering tragedy in general with your job i'm sure you have to do it quite often yeah i mean a tragedy like this and a hundred percent is a a horrible tragedy over there but it's removed enough where it's like it's um it's not as hard as covering like a local tragedy which can be very difficult um something like this is usually uh, unless of course they've lost somebody over there or something like that that's very sensitive but like um you know these ones where it's an international conflict or a big global event it's a little bit easier because there's usually a little bit more separation but yeah no certainly nobody and you know we all have enough experience that and and they're i I really like the the sentinel uh at least you know our editorial direction is very much not sensationalist and not trying to well we're definitely trying to sell papers but not (laughs) through sensationalism yeah so you know it's it's actually not that hard it's just like you just think of what would happen or how you would feel if uh, one of your family members was over there or a friend and and you ask the questions that or the things that you would be thinking of and and I, you know, I can't speak for any other reporter, but these those stories actually tend to be fairly straightforward to write because they people, if they're willing to talk, are usually fairly eloquent about telling their story and their concerns and their fears and all and everything. And you can just kind of they they tell the story for you, and you just lay it out in a format that's easier to to read than a transcript. Yeah, totally. Um, so it's 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 not that. Yeah, it, it, you know, emotionally it can be kind of tough because especially if it's very close to them. But I am glad we do it because a lot of these things can seem a half a world away because they are, they are. So like when somebody reads that someone in Fruta has a kid over there or there's a doctor who maybe, you know, works in the hospital or the doctor's office that they go to who's over there, 
you know that that localizes it and it lets people know that this does affect us this is real and i think that helps you know in general as far as supporting israel and and you know we we actually in this case because it's such a complicated issue it's not complicated what happened you know it was a terrorist attack it was horrible no justifying that but it is a complicated issue between israel israel and palestine so of course, we yeah. definitely had a conversation because we we're like well, let's call the local synagogue, see if they've set up a donation, whatever. And and then we had the conversation, should we call the local mosque and see what they have to say? And and I uh, we I don't think we've done that yet, but that was something we were like, yeah, we we and we should call the local Christian church and, and ask them what if they're doing anything. And we have all those conversations, of like how to do this right, how to cover our, it ethically and responsibly and get everybody who should be if they want to have their voice out there and get their voice out there. I dedicated my grad school thesis to how journalists cover tragedy. <laughs> and it was um, a very insightful time in my life, probably two of the toughest years of my life, I would say, for a number of reasons, because I was young and just in grad school and coming out, coming, yeah. you know, transitioning to the real world, but also just the content. And it hit home in so many ways, but the one the things that I really remember and point out about it is that there was a huge difference between print journalism coverage of tragedy and then televised version of tragedy because like you're saying, print can be very measured. You get the facts, you're going to print it in the paper the next day. There's more time between stories being published, online versions of newspapers. For the Sentinel, it's a little different because you guys are putting your whole paper online each day. But national sites that are updating by the minute are a little different. But going back to then, it's just... Video news, television news has so much more airtime to cover. So there's so much more chance for, A, sensationalism and commentary that's filling time. And it's a more visual experience for the viewer. So it can be more powerful, which is good because you can really see the tragedy and feel it. But it also opens the victims up to much more being sort of used for that purpose. Right. And I interviewed people from 9-11, Oklahoma City bombing, Virginia Tech shooting, where I went to college, all these Columbine from, you know, Denver side. Sure. And the thing that I found was, like, so depressing that it it really drove me from hard news. Like, reporters would tell me that, yeah, my my editor told me if I don't get the woman crying on camera, to just don't bother to come back. Ooh. Things like that, right? Yeah. Where they're just being set out there to capture this certain image. And again... A lot of people would argue, well, that's important, and I do see the side to that. But yeah, man, it's heavy stuff, dude. I just, I don't like, I just don't know how people do it. Honestly, waking up day after day and, and covering that kind of stuff could really be difficult. And especially if you have those kind of assignments where you're, you know, getting these people suffering, and you're there. You, you I guess, you convince yourself you're helping in a way because sure. you're reporting on it, and yeah. that's why you're there, and you, you stand on that platform. But it's just so difficult because it's so easy to start to look at these, like, well, I need my story, right? Like, I need to get my shot. You know, these terms we use in the industry, and it's like, okay, well, these are real people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, no, I think you're absolutely right. Like, it's a lot different for TV, and I don't have much experience in TV, to be honest. (laughs) I never went into it either. I don't know how they do it. 24 hours of time to fill. Oh, God, no, a 24-hour channel. Well, I I don't have much respect for 24-hour news channels. I have respect for the journalists that work there, some of them anyway. But I think uh, I think that was a mistake. I think we should get rid of them. You do? 24-hour news channels? Yeah. Cable news? Absolutely. Gone. They're terrible. Yeah, get rid of them. Tell us about it. Why do you think that? 
Well, same thing you said. Yeah. How do you fill 24 hours a day without sensationalizing something, without filling it up with opinion? It's Television news, when done right, is, as you said, incredibly powerful and incredibly expensive. So you can't do it for 24 hours a day the way that it deserves to be done. So you see what what happens on CNN, Fox, and MSNBC is just a talking head. Bunch of talking heads. Who just say things that a couple producers typed up that they mostly take from newspapers, to be honest with you. <laughs> they read it out of the newspaper, they type it in, and they, uh, they say it. And that's cheaper, and it's worse, and it informs you worse. And I would... I, I don't... Um, judge anyone for wanting to get their news visually. People learn differently. They absorb information differently. If you do like to get your news visually, I highly recommend the PBS NewsHour. It's on YouTube every day. If you don't get PBS, uh, just watch that. I mean, I can see how people watch it because it's compelling. You hear the music, you hear the build-up. Yeah, you know, so is, up so next, <laughs> dun dun dun. I mean, it's it's like watching a real drama. I was gonna say, so it's like Survivor, and well, I'm, <laughs> they're I all know, compelling. But, yeah. but a lot of people, you know, we study journalism. People yeah. don't they don't think of it that way. They're not sitting there being like, oh, these people are trying to. They're not aware of that. They just, especially like a name like CNN, who has been a, a long-standing news organization. People trust these organizations. I think a lot of that's changing now. In the past. Yeah. Four, five, ten years. And that's not to say that they don't do good journalism. CNN in particular, when the Ukraine war started, I thought did some incredible reporting. And even still, um, their internet, CNN International does some really great Ukraine reporting. But it's expensive. <laughs> so you can't do, you can't fill 24 hours with it because it's just a lot of money. I think yeah. both channels, Fox and CNN, once you get past four or five o'clock, it's all just opinion hosts. Yeah, because it's cheap. But is it cheap? These guys are making millions of dollars. Yeah. You know but, that's crazy? But, oh, yeah, but it's that's way cheaper. Oh, really? Than funding, like, a whole operation? Doing a whole, like, a one-hour proper journalistic news program versus spending $20 million on, I don't even know the name of any of the hosts Anderson anymore. Cooper. Sure. And, well, he probably makes more than $20 million, but yeah. uh, And he's not even the, he's far from the worst one. I think he does a decent job sometimes. I haven't actually watched any of these people in a long time either, so maybe he's gone. It's really my guilty terrible. pleasure, man. Oh, really? I tune in all the time, both both sides, you know, just to, sure. again, because I have a foundation that I'm operating on, I know what's happening in front of me, and a lot of it is just sort of a guilty pleasure of this is so entertaining, like what is Jesse Waters going to say tonight, right, about this <laughs> issue, or like what is Sean Hannity going to do, or what viewpoint is Anderson Cooper going to take on this? And before they got fired, Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon and those guys, right? Yeah. But I, I read this great book recently. It's called Bad News. I forget her name. Sorry. It's She was the opinion editor at Newsweek, okay. at least at the time when she wrote it. And it's called Bad News. And it's just essentially of how journalism has changed over time and yeah. why it's kind of worsening for us. And the main point of the book is how journalists used to be middle to low class workers yep. who blue collar, grinded it out, wrote the news, didn't get paid a lot, but were community members. And it was the lower classes covering the higher classes and right. keeping them accountable. Yes. And now we have Anderson Cooper making $10, $20 million a year, sure. Sean Hannity millionaire, Jesse Watt, you know, all these guys that are celebrities, millionaires, covering the news, right? And it's just, it's different. They're not it's not covered in the same way because now they're members of different classes, right? So they have, especially when they're doing opinion shows, they have different viewpoints on things. And the whole scope of journalism of like being the watchdog has changed now to a little more lapdoggy. Plus 
they have all this time to fill and it's more of an entertainment component sell the news now than ever before and it's just really interesting i think you would it's called bad news yeah no that's a, i i have not heard of it but i'll check it out and i, I think that's right at least i again to not to big up my side of the industry but i think that's probably true in tv although not entirely like if you go down to any of the our local tv stations a lot of those people make minimum wage oh that's what i mean isn't it crazy like yeah that's why i bring it up because local news which is some of the most responsible reporting being done these days these people are just paid nothing and the people that you know it's like you're covering just local stuff and then the people that are entrusted to cover our national news who have the broadest impact are just that's why i say turn off the the cable news it's not news anyway it's it's opinion and well and and i'll say from again from the print side and and from the tv side i'll i will again recommend pbs news hour they do a great job but like wall street journal washington post new york times the big national papers i think all do a pretty good job of what they're supposed to be doing is holding people accountable is that what got you into journalism, this desire to hold people accountable? No, I think for me, well, one thing, I worked at, in high school at the student newspaper. Do you remember why you decided to do that, though? I don't remember why I signed up exactly, but I did, and I really enjoyed it. And the thing that I sort of realized at the time, and even today, is I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but... When you're a journalist, you can sort of pick what you want to do from day to day. That's it, man. If I yeah. want to be a, you know, learn about whatever, uh, spaceships, <laughs> rockets, I can, tomorrow I could go and I could call, like, to give you a local example, I didn't do the story because I was the editorial page editor at the time, but when NASA shot the Orion or whatever the I was just going to say, no, you did write it oh about Terry Hancock. I think that's his name, the guy that runs the Grand Mesa Observatory. Oh, I wrote that story, yeah. Yeah, when he got different. his picture selected by NASA. Yeah, that's different. Terry, that was a great story. Yeah. No, and Terry's great. He just, yeah. when he has something, he'll call me and say, okay. do you want to do story? I'm and trying say, to get yeah. him on the pod. Oh, you should. He's yeah. awesome. Yeah. He's really cool. I spoke to him on the phone the other day. I think we're going to try for November. That'd be awesome. It's he's cool great. what they're doing up there. He's so cool. It's like I've never actually been to the observatory. I keep meaning to go. Me either. Uh, and I've never met him in person, but he call, like he doesn't call me often. But like when he gets a photo selected, or or um, they've had other things over the years where he said, "Hey, do you want to?" Do, and I I love that. I love when there's somebody out there doing something cool that they're passionate about that they then call me <laughs> that I want to seek out. And they just go, <laughs> the "Hey, something cool happened." Yeah, the story comes to me. It's easy. It's interesting. I love it. Um, but yeah, no, okay, that's a good example then. If, t if tomorrow I want to learn about supernova or whatever, whatever he's taking a picture of, nebula, I can talk to Terry for 20 minutes and learn about it and then write about it and teach other people about it. And then the, the next day, if I feel like I'm more want to talk about rafting, I call a raft guide and do a rafting story. And, and that's, that was sort of the idea, I guess, when I started or when I decided to go to school for it, it was like, I don't really know what I want to do. I, I I like to learn. I like to talk to people. I like to I like to write. So journalism seemed like a natural thing where I was like, okay, well, that'd be cool. And also I was like, well, it's undergrad. I can go to law school too, <laughs> uh, which I didn't do, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> but then, yeah, and then as, uh, you know, throughout my career, that's sort of what keeps it interesting is like you cover a beat a lot of the time. So you're writing about school district or you know local government or whatever but within that you can always make it a little more interesting for yourself and for the readers yeah what's your beat right now 
I don't really have one right now. No. So can you, you were saying, I, I agree with you 100%. That's why I got, I love journalism just for the variety of the day. You can do totally different stories. It doesn't matter whether you're working for the local paper, you're freelance, wherever you are, you can kind of mix it up, which is so great. And you meet so many interesting people because you're talking to experts in the field. Yeah. It's like a free education. It's so great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but how does it work at the Sentinel? So you're saying, like, can you just come in and write whatever you want each day or... Yeah, you guys I mean, having <laughs> weekly meetings? How does it work? No, it, we don't have weekly meetings. I've been at other papers where we've done that, and that helps. Um, it, it really depends on the newsroom. Um, but no, I mean, if you're hired tomorrow, you probably, first of all, it takes a, a minute to figure out where to even find stories in a community. But no, there's definitely beats that people have. So I, if there was a school story that I wanted to do, I might just go do it, but, or I might, I probably would go to the school report and say, did you hear about this? Are you planning to do anything? If not, I'll do it. Um, I thought you told me a while back that you were on a crime or court beat. Was that true? I was for a while. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've covered pretty much everything in this community at this point. <laughs> yeah. How long have you been on staff there? Um, since 2019. So four years, more than four years. And I freelanced for a year and a half before that with them. So, okay. Um, yeah. So the Valley gets small pretty quick. You learn it pretty well. Pretty fast. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you learn where to get stories at least. I mean, you know who to talk to for the most part. Um, that can be a little limiting cause that's one of the things that we sometimes talk about with the, as a newsroom is just like, can we get the, we get somebody different in the paper instead of the same five people. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask, like, do people in the paper or in the uh, community really harness the power of the press? Like they want to really get their, do, are you having a lot of stories come to you where people are trying to promote their business or their accomplishments? No. 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 Well, I mean, it's not nobody. Some people do, but it's not just this community. Like I, I think with the kind of like shrinking of newsrooms and the, newspapers becoming less a part of communities and less influential people don't think of them as much so it's not just here like pretty much every job i've had there there have been times where i've been like why didn't you call us and tell us this was happening uh and like, oh, i don't know think of it and it's like okay <laughs> and that happens Isn't all that the sad? time happens all the time i don't even know that it's necessarily like if the newspaper was you know in its heyday that probably still would happen with fair you know a fair amount of regular regularity I don't want to call anybody out, but there are certain there are certain uh, public publicly funded groups in the valley that I wish would do more to tell us when they're doing things. Not even like controversial or anything, but they're like, all right, I'll call it, I won't call out the specific one, but fire departments in this valley. When you're having a training, those have great photos. We love talking to firemen. Just let us know they're happening. Why don't they? Do you? Think? I don't know. They just don't think of it. Do, does it because they don't want you there, or because they don't think of it? Uh, probably both to yeah. some extent. I mean, for trainings, I think if they were just trying to like put their head down and get these guys up to speed on whatever the heck they're training on, they probably don't need a photographer there and a reporter asking people how they feel, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, but it's funded by taxpayer dollars. It's such an easy PR softball. And they right? do, like, definitely they do call us from time to time, like we're doing a training. Um but they do it so much, and I'm like, I see it on Facebook and stuff afterwards, and I'm like, oh, God, could you tell us? I would, I would have gone to that. Like, yeah. that looked cool. Yeah. Um, I won't say which agency. <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> um, would you would you consider yourself an aggressive media outlet in terms of pursuing? In what way? Well, I'm just thinking because 
in my opinion, since being here, I haven't been there that long, but you know, I noticed there's not a media component to a lot of different things here. For example, mm. if you went to the town of Palisade board meeting, yeah. right? You covered a lot. So maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe it's like a situation where, okay, well now we're going to take questions from the media or now we're going to incorporate the media into it because they're a part of the community and we need to make sure because we're a public board, we're answering everything they want to hear. There's no briefing or something like that. That's no. that often. I never see media blasts coming out. I think in areas where there's a more aggressive media, let's just use New York City as an example because that's like the ground zero for it. Yeah. A lot of people are very used. They know the media is coming. They expect it, so they just prepare for it and say, okay, you know what? We're going to have a press conference or you're going to have your chance to ask questions. They they know the reporters are coming and they're aggressive, and so they yeah they know the deal. Whereas here in a, in a smaller town, and not just here, but more remote areas, it's a combination of the media not being as aggressive and people just, yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, that's just not something I've seen any community really do. Like, uh, and I've covered a, a whole bunch where you have your town meeting and the, the purpose of the town meeting is for your elected board to meet. Yeah, they're going to hear from residents at, if they do a public comment period. But most of them say we're not going to answer any questions from the, even from community members, so not even the press. But if if you went to the Palisade board meeting, I don't know, maybe maybe not Palisade because it's a smaller town and they might feel more pressure to answer you. But if you went to Junction or you went to a front range community or something and you went up and you said, I demand answers about, I don't know, the tax refund or whatever your your issue is, they go, thank you for your they wouldn't even say this, but they'd essentially say, thank you for your time. You'd move on and they'd go about their business. Because it's just a public comment. It's, it's not a public a comment. And, answer, not, yeah. and, they, and none of them have like a media question time. The media question time really is after the meeting. Are they good about talking to you? Because you've covered a lot of these meetings. Yeah. And a, a lot of them are not controversial or I'll get all everything I need from what's said in the meeting a lot of the time. And if I have a follow-up question... A lot of the time it's not even for the board because it'll be something technical or some like background thing. So you go to the staff member and you say, why did this come up now? I thought they did this then or whatever clarifying question you have after the meeting, you might go. And I, and I do that um, if I have a question like that. Not to say I haven't gone up to board members afterwards or it's a good time to catch someone. Uh, they're there. So they're there. Do um, they usually talk to you? Yeah. 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 I mean, there there are ones where like I don't want to comment, whatever. But nobody's like, get out of here. I hate you. <laughs> you know that's sort of thing. Everybody's very nice. You haven't got any hatred? Uh, not much. That's uh, good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, not not like specific to me. You get lots of like journalists or the enemy of the people kind of thing, and I hate the paper or whatever. But there's very little that's like specifically directed at you. Journalists or enemy of the people? Not. That's I've like never the, heard that in person. Okay, it's gonna, more through the emails. Oh, I see. <laughs> but that's so stupid because local, it's like what we're just talking about. It's like local journalists are the salt of the earth. You know, they're not making rich off of this. There's like, there's no fame and fortune in it. It's literally one of the most humble jobs you could do, I think. Yeah, I just, I think, like you said, most people are looking at the Anderson Coopers who make millions of dollars. Yeah. And I think that's the norm. When well, the norm is really, you make close to minimum wage and, and nobody's too happy with what you write. <laughs> Well, you did a very good piece of investigative journalism recently about the Whitman Park, right? Yeah, I mean, calling it investigative is is generous. Yes, please. Thank you. Um, Well, I think it was. I don't see that kind of stuff that often around here where 
a reporter's really digging in. I'm not necessarily criticizing boards for not having media time. I guess my point is just like a lot of the stories, you know, you're just covering it. But this was one where I saw it's like you subpoenaed emails. You really went for the deeper story. You didn't just take it at surface level. It's like, okay, well, this is what they said at the meeting. So this is what I'm going to report on. You're like, no, I want to know what's actually happening here. Sure. I thought that was a veteran move. Whitman Park, take us through that because that's been a huge story you've been covering. And it's sort of dominated the Sentinel the last couple of weeks that I've seen. Yeah, we have a few reporters working on it. Whitman Park, if you don't know, if you're in Palisade and you never make it to Junction, uh, <laughs> like I know some people do. Well, if they don't subscribe, we don't have any media here, man. Well, so no, if they don't I subscribe don't. <laughs> to the paper, I mean, maybe they see it on the evening news or something. I'm sure other stations are covering they, they it. They have. But, yeah. And CPR has covered it and some some others. But, no, it's... Um, it's the it's well and even like talking to people who are like business owners in the area in downtown junction say hey what do you think of women park and they go what park <laughs> like you don't know the name of the park <laughs> and you go, the park with all the homeless people I'm like oh okay but it's that park between Uton pitkin i-70 business next to the the big police station where a lot of our unhoused people would hang out during the day their meals there during the week um, or on the weekend, I guess. And it's been something that's been talked about forever because there have been unhoused people there forever. Not forever, but for years and years and years. There have been discussions for a long time on what to do down there. The businesses in the area hate seeing them there. The people who advocate for the unhoused and work um, for those nonprofits and things that help them very much think that's a... a well... I won't speak for all of them, but some of them think that that's a good place for them or a convenient place to, for them to gather and to do their, their feeds and, and everything else that they do down there. So there's a very big controversy. Nobody really done anything about it in years, except the city had closed off camping there. Like they had, they'd made it a day use only park like a year and a half ago or something like did that. Did they enforce it? Yeah. They did. Yeah. So if you were sleeping there, they'd kick you out at kick night. Kick you out. Yeah. Wow. Um, I don't know how strict it was fairly strictly enforced. It wasn't by the cops. They have a, a private security group that goes around and does it. Oh, well, that's a pretty big step if they did that. They yeah. did. Yeah. And it is not just Whitman park. There are other parks where they said they use only nobody can be here at night. That's kind of how you get around the constitutional issues of <laughs> this is like, no, 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 we're not kicking the homeless people out. Nobody can be here at night. <laughs> if you're a family who wants to use the playground, you got to get out of here too. <laughs> um, is it um, is it bad to say homeless now? You're saying unhoused now? Is it? Uh, people have a million different terms for it. I try to be sensitive about it because I I've known you know people in that situation. It's very hard. Oh yeah, I have a lot of compassion for them too. I think it's a complicated issue. I just never thought that homeless was an offensive term. I guess it just doesn't encompass the whole situation. Well, and I think specifically the reason why some, and it's not everybody, I think homeless is still acceptable. Like, nobody will call you a bigot for using or something like that. Um, I never know these days. Hold man. on, there's going to be a little, a little hiss here. We love that there background noise. Yeah. Um, but no, I think the reason that some people like unhoused versus homeless is they, they say this, they have a home. The community is their home. They're not homeless. They are residents of Mesa County, Grand Junction, Palisade, whatever. They don't have a house, so unhoused. That makes sense. Okay, um, that's fair enough. And that seems to be the term that that like city officials have been using, and a lot of other. So I try to use that one, um, but I I still say homeless from time to time. So what prompted them after doing 
you know, day use only to then, what was it, a couple of weeks ago or a month now, who knows, but to just suddenly close the park to everybody. What well, was the that was the point, point of my, my Cora uh, story. Well, Cora, so Colorado Open Records Act is the law that allows me or you or any, anybody, it's not just journalists, to go to the city and say, I want access to this public document. And a public document is basically, it's not anything. There's a lot of um, exceptions and rules around it. But if it's been created by a public employee, uh, including elected officials, you know, a city staff member, whatever, that's a public document. We all have access to that. So, but you have to ask for it. But there's, you don't have to give a reason why you want it. No. You can just say any public issue, like I want to see all the emails about the D51 school district. Yeah. And they have to give you everything. Yes. Everything I that, I mean, there, there are exceptions, like I said. So yeah. like um, negotiations, like if you, if you were, say you're in the teacher's union and you're coming up to a big negotiation over salary or something, you couldn't go to them and say, give me all your emails or all your, every document, text message between staff about your strategy for talking to the union. That's, can't do that. So you have to be very specific or can you just say, I want every email that's ever mentioned D51? You could. It, so there, it, the issue with that is it, cost, it does cost money. So, oh, you pay for it. Yeah, like, okay. and it's depending on how much staff time it takes. So if you, if you say, hey, um, I want, you know, every email for the last hour um, from the city manager to the city attorney. I don't know why you'd ask for that, but if, that's so probably going to be free because the first hour of staff time it takes is free. And if they all they have to do is go, okay, here are the emails, boom. The more complicated or the broader your search is probably going to take more staff time, which means it's going to cost more money. So what are we talking? Like, what would it cost? It's thirty bucks an hour. Oh, all right. Um, so, like, to use my story, I don't want to say specifically how much, but it was in the hundred to two hundred dollar range. Okay. For how much that costs to have those emails uh, produced for us? And how do you know that they're giving you everything? You don't. You don't. And if you suspected something was missing, you could hire a lawyer or something like you could take it another step if you truly, but you're just trusting they're giving you everything. I am trusting they're not giving me everything that they're not giving you everything. Uh, And and this isn't, I I don't want this to, if anyone from the city is listening, I'm not saying that you're violating the law or anything. I'm just a skeptical journalist, skeptical. Yeah. Well, you should be. Um, It's, you know, oversights can happen. It's not even on like so the the staff that does the search I don't think any of them are nefarious about like well we can't give them this one or whatever <laughs> it's it's like the clerk and and their staff and they're you know they're doing a good job they're not trying to to hide anything from me but maybe a city staff person here or there deletes an email that was embarrassing I'm just gonna get rid of that one yeah um I don't think that happened in this case or I have no reason to suspect anything like that. But uh, in the back of my mind, I'm assuming when I ask for this, I'm not going to get everything. Yeah. But whatever I get, I get. You get. Yeah. All right. So let's backtrack. So why did they close the park just seemingly overnight to everything? What was the the boiling point? So if you read the story and it's, you have to read between the lines and it's much less explicit than I was hoping it to be when I started the story. Cause I was hoping the city would just, kind of talk a little bit more openly about it. But what they say the region was is essentially just, and this is true, for years there have been discussions around that park and what to do with it long term. 
And a couple of years ago, they did a master plan for all the parks and how they wanted to develop them. And they had plans about about turning that park into like an event space, or I guess that's historically how it'd been used in the past sometimes for concerts and that sort of thing. And and a bunch of downtown parks, same thing. Like they're putting in a skate park in one of them. They're putting playgrounds in another one. Essentially, what they said was, this park we want an event space and. We want to preserve it for the broader public who can't use it right now because it's being used by this one very specific user group who does get value from that park, but we think that they could get value that same value in another place and this park could be used for the general public. When you read the emails, there is a definite point at which the discussion in the emails changes. And I and I didn't in the story I couldn't say that this was definitely what changed anything. Because I don't know. All I know is reading the emails, what it seems like. And and they denied this up and down when I talked to them. They said, this was not the reason. It looks like it was the reason. Was what was the reason. reason it looked like? In mid-August, a gentleman at the park was having some sort of episode or disturbance or something. Slit another man's throat. Jesus. Yeah. Did you report on that at the time? I didn't, but the newspaper. We okay. did as, yeah, a, as a newspaper. It. I didn't cover it. Another reporter did. Yeah, that man survived, but it was a an attempted murder, and essentially, so that happened. When there's a crime like that, the police department put out a press release, and the press release went out, and then the next day they ordered the fencing to put up around the park. So I went to them. And I said, had an attempted murder. As soon as you found out about it, the next day you ordered fencing. Is that why you did it? And they said, no, 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 no. This is a long plan. They were saying that that was just a coincidence, that yes. they were going to close that, it anyway because of that is events or something? So, yes. So that's but what why, they said. But why? Because it, wouldn't that be a great reason to just be like, all right, guys, we're going to close this off and f- you know figure this out. What's the, what's the shame in that? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Right. I don't know what the reason. I don't know why they – and, I, and I, again, I want to be very clear – they have denied up and down that that was the reason. Okay. All I can say is it happened before it happened in their emails. And maybe there was conversation outside the emails that I don't know about. But the emails before that were, we're going to have some design dollars in the next year's budget for, for Whitman. You know, we want to look at a change, whatever. We're thinking about Whitman. We're going to do something down there. Then this incident happens. And then the next day, they order the fencing. And from then on, it's just full speed ahead, getting this fencing up, closing it. Um, and again, they, they, just to be clear and cover my bases, it is not fully closed. You can reserve that space and go down and use the park, but it's not, it's not open for just regular days. It's by reservation. By reservation only. So individuals can say, I want to go on the swing for an hour and there's no swings down there, whatever, you know what I mean? Sit under the tree and yeah. Okay. Um, so, but, but yeah, so their, their line was, I'd like to sit up against the metal gate and reflect (laughs) for a while. (laughs) Whatever you want to do, you can do but, but so that that was, and I I sat down with the city manager, the chief of police, the parks director, and I and I said to them, I said, "You requested this meeting?" Yeah. Oh, so they did, they're they're pretty good. You yeah. Request time, they're going to sit with you. Not necessarily, but they did, okay. and I was very appreciative of that. And that, and that's one of the reasons why I don't want to sit here and say that I know something or I there's something in those emails that speaks truth to me that that I can reveal. It's I can tell you what's in the emails, and I can tell you what they said. That's a good journalist, buddy. Yeah. We're for it. So, um, because who knows? Uh, there's a lot of, you know, 
a one-on-one discussion isn't recorded anywhere. Hundred percent. Yeah. So they totally could have. They could have. There could have been a million different things said that I have no idea about. But yes, from the emails, there was this violent incident. There was a change in how those emails were presented, and then when you asked the city, or when I asked the city afterwards, they said, "No, that's a coincidence." That was when you had the meeting with all th- the police chief and everybody. They yeah. just said, "Nope, total coincidence." Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they uh, said they said you know there are other public safety issues down there. There have been other incidences. That is definitely something that is a factor in their decision making down there. But that they, I think they wanted they wanted their message to be clear that. The primary reason was to make this a more usable space for everybody. And I sort of understand why they want that to be their message. I I haven't speculated about this, but I've heard other people speculate that maybe closing a park for public safety might open you up for some sort of civil rights something. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, because I was going to say, it's confusing because I feel like if they would have come out and said, hey, this just happened... We're going to close it down and kind of do a review of how it's being used. And we just want to make sure this is a safe space for everybody. That would make sense to me. I wouldn't be like, oh, my God, I'm offended by that. I'd be like, oh, all right, that makes sense, yeah. Closing definitely, maybe not, but... I mean, that was essentially the almost word for word how I posed the question to them. I was like, this makes sense. Like, when you closed it, it didn't make sense. And then I read your emails, and if this is what happened, that makes sense to me. And they said, no, that's not what happened. So... What triggered you to request the emails? Because obviously you had a sense of something was awry for you to do that, right? Oh, no. Well. Do you often do that? We don't often. We do Quora emails semi-regularly. I mean, it's we can't do it that often because, like I said, it does cost money and it does add up after a while. Yeah. Um, And also, like, if you do it too much, they're just going to stop emailing good stuff to each other <laughs> that might reveal something. So it's like, you want to be judicious in it a little bit and a little strategic, but yeah. we do like, if you're not getting something that you think is there from interviews or other sources or whatever, that's an option that you always have is to say, all right, well, let's see what they're emailing about or texting about or whatever. And, and maybe that reveals something. Maybe it doesn't in this case. Um, I don't know if I want to go into too much the specific reasons why we courted in this case. But essentially, the decision was made. They sent out a press release. This was... The whole thing was sort of odd because the way the city... And this is Junction. The way they normally work is they're actually really pretty good about communicating things. So they'll... If they're making a big decision, they'll have five different public listening sessions and they'll have a survey and they'll, they'll just drown people in like tell us your thoughts and that way everybody who has a concern or whatever can get it out nobody's surprised yeah and that's they do many many things that way and a lot of the agencies in this valley do it that way and that's i think the right way to do it in this case it was there was a press release we're closing this thing tomorrow and we said well that's serious like this is a park that is controversial we're closing it tomorrow oh my god and then we said we had a meeting and we said, all right, well, we're going to have to do a few stories on this because there's a bunch of different angles. There's the the nonprofits, the unhoused advocates who are going to want to say something. There's probably, at the time, we were like, well, we should talk to the police. You know, this is right next to a police station. They're down there all the time. 
they're probably going to patrol the other parks because if you close a park where a bunch of unhoused people have been hanging out, they they don't disappear. <laughs> they got to go yeah, somewhere else. They got to go somewhere. So they're the other parks nearby are. Is there going to be more police patrols? Whatever. And so we said, hey, can we talk to the you know police chief or a spokesperson or whoever? And they said no. And we said, oh, okay. And then one of our reporters went and started calling uh, city council people for the junction city council. And some of them said, oh, you know, another person within the council said we shouldn't talk, you know, we need to go through this other person to talk to the media. And we're like, no, you don't. <laughs> you're, you're an elected official. You can talk to us. And so we just got the sense through the whole morning that that was happening. It was like, there's a lot of, like, this is just not the way they normally do things. And a lot of very, like, closed off. And so I said, well, I'll throw in a Gory request and see what was happening behind the scenes. Just as like a, and in in, not in a, I don't know what the right word is, not like to be a jerk about no, it. No, it's a anything. curiosity. You're... Well, it was just like, we're not getting what we need to get through interviews or from public statements or whatever. So let's see what. Well, that's the thing. If they don't want you to go through their emails, they can just talk to you. Yeah. yeah. We, we were like, well, we're shut off from all these. We have one person we're allowed to talk to. So. You leave us no choice. I'll do this. Yeah. And it wasn't, yeah, to punish them or anything like that or to be mean about it, but just like, we need to know the backstory of the story and you can tell us, but we're getting, not that much back. It's an interesting dynamic, right? Because if you are a city council person, I could see how you could quickly think, oh, the media's out to get me. They're trying to read my emails. They're calling me for comment. But from our point of view, it's you're a public official and you're elected by us and you should probably talk to us and just tell us what's going on. And if you can't talk about it, tell us why and just be straightforward and then we won't have to do it. And yeah, it's just all—it's all a process. But I, I see both sides of it, and I could see how someone would shut down, especially if they're not used to dealing with the media and dealing with that outreach. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I'm very sensitive to that, or, or sympathetic to that, especially for a new council person. Like I—I I don't cover the city of Junction. Well, that's not my primary beat anyway. I still cover them a little bit, but but yeah, it's, you want to form relationships so they know who you are and that you're not. I'm not out to get anybody. How do they go from here? Homelessness is such a complicated issue. It's really throughout the whole U.S. an issue. I don't. Want, I was going to say yeah. problem. It's not. I don't mean it in I that would say way. It's a. It's a problem. It's well, a problem for them. They. That's not. They shouldn't be on the streets. <laughs> like they should. They should. That's a problem for them. Like they. They need a safe place to be. Yeah. That's a problem. And now the parks still closed, but by reservation only. Right. So where did all these people go? They just moved to a different park. I mean, some of them. Yeah. If you. If you go around downtown Junction, you'll see them around there. Some of them, there's another park a couple blocks down that they've gone to. Some of them are around Main Street. Where our, our our office is on 7th Street between downtown and Las Colonias Park. I see them walking that street a lot. So they're around. Has anyone around the country figured this out or around the world? I mean, just, yeah. I don't feel like anyone's found, I, obviously, services and, and supplied housing and, and food and all that. Like, these support services are great and they help. But I just feel like, again, maybe because it's mainstream news, but it's just been so magnified recently since the pandemic of just a lot of cities dealing with homelessness issues. It's a really hard issue. And I I was, so I think I told you, I went to Japan about six months ago. You went skiing, right? I went skiing, yeah, which was really cool. 
Amazing. But, but Japan so is, is famous around the world for being the only country with 0% homelessness. Really? It's not true. <laughs> but that, that is something, if you Google it, you'll find places claiming Japan has no homeless people. Um, but even there, there's homeless. Like they, it's, it, the way their society is, is it's very, very shameful to be in that situation. So they sort of just hide hmm. and you don't see them. But so they're, they're not out begging. They're not out. They're not panhandling. They're not in the parks. It's it's, I think considered quite shameful. So they just go off. Uh, I think they have quite a problem with suicide and that sort of thing. Um, so it's nowhere is solved at a hundred percent. You get some examples like Salt Lake City for a while was held up as an example because and I don't remember exactly what they did, but they they had some program where they greatly reduced homelessness and it was through supportive housing and I think they had a few different programs that they did that others have tried and it there's I, I don't know I don't have any solution Japan's an interesting culture I, I think I heard I, I wish we maybe we could look it up I think they have one of the highest suicide rates of any country because of the shame factor and it's where if they get into a situation instead of bringing themselves and their family shame they just decide to commit suicide they'll go out into the woods and do it and in fact, when I lived in Hawaii, there was one specific hotel in Waikiki that Japanese people would come and book and then jump out the window because oh it was one of the few hotels that you could access the window and jump out. Yeah. And it was, I mean, not like every day, but it was like a common thing that people knew about there. So one of these days, I want to get the pod set up so we can just look up these statistics like that and do that, <laughs> but it's not today. So Yeah, and I don't know off the top of my head if it's worse than other places, but they definitely deal with it. And And like... Even here, like, that's kind of a, I don't know if it's, it's not a secret, like, people talk about it and stuff, but, like, we're in a suicide belt here in Colorado. Really? Yeah. Um, I, and it may be more on the front range than over here, but, like, when I, I was the editor of the Estes Park paper, Rocky Mountain National Park has a lot of suicides. That's another thing they don't want to talk about. Really? Yeah. How are they doing it? Jumping off cliffs. No shit. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. You get that here? Well. Suicide belt. I've never even heard that term. What? Is that like. Is suicide that a, belt? Yeah. I don't know if I made that up or not. It's great. It is. If you did. I, I don't <laughs> think I did. I think that's the term. But we're in like. there's We have a higher than average. And yeah. it's people from Colorado or people coming here as a destination to do it? I I couldn't. I think it's residents, but I. We'd have to look it up. Have you ever seriously considered suicide? No. Or anything like that? No. Too cowardly. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> I could never do that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't think I could either. I During grad school, when I was doing this thesis I was telling you about, it was uh-huh. the hardest two, li- two years of my life. Uh, I never you know, put a gun to my head or like really came up with a plan. Yeah. But I remember you know, having too many beers some nights and thinking, like, would it just be better off if I wasn't here? Like. And beyond a passing thought, like thinking about it a lot and just getting into that hole. And it's really sad. It gives me a lot of empathy because there are people that feel like there's no hope. For sure. No, and I've definitely had depressions and things like that where um, never harmed myself or anything. But like my my best friend, my college roommate committed suicide. Really? Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, man. And that was one, and that's like, if anyone's listening to us going through a hard time, don't shut people out. What he did was essentially for years just stopped responding to calls, text emails. Like I would, I would call him once a month for like four years without him ever picking up the phone. 
until eventually he just ended it. That's like people out there care about you. Pick up the phone. Someone's reaching out. That's all. Dude, it's really sad. I, I was listening to uh, on my drive today. I went to Moab, as you know, and I was listening to a podcast on the way back. And the host was talking about how he, when he was younger, he would see a homeless person or see someone and be like, oh, what a fuck up, you know, whatever, yeah. and just be judgmental of people. And he said now he has a new perspective because he sees every human. He just sees them once he had kids. Now he sees like every human as someone's child or like as a baby, you know, and he's like, he'll see someone in a bad situation and be like, instead of judging them for that current situation, he'll be like, oh my God, like you were someone's baby boy. You were like a, a young boy who was so full of potential and life and had you been in a different situation, who knows what would happen, but sure. it's so sad that this is how it ha turned out to be, right? No, that's a great perspective. And it's just like, that's the humanistic element of it. It's so easy to judge an unhoused person and say, oh, they just want drugs or they don't want help or anything like that. But, you know, you don't know that unless you're actually going and talking to these people, right? There well, is a strong humanistic element to it. Absolutely. And it, for me, like, and I think just living your life, some people get, get to the, a situation where it's like, oh, if something goes wrong, I'd be in real bad, real bad shape. Like, excuse me. Um, the bad I, thing about the beers, they give you the bubbles. It does. It does. <laughs> but so I got married um, in Maine. I, met, I lived in Maine, met my wife there, and we got married and we quit our jobs and moved to Colorado the day after the wedding, essentially. Really? Yeah. No jobs or anything. That's awesome. It ended up being a good idea. Everything's worked out great. <laughs> we got to Colorado with no jobs, no place to stay. And like, it's very difficult to find housing if you don't have a job. We had, and we had savings and like for our wedding, we were like, don't give us a gift, just give us money. So we had money and stuff. We're like, we would go to like apartment buildings and companies and be like, we will pay you six months ahead of time. <laughs> like upfront, can we stay? And they'd be like, no, you don't have a job. Like, and like so, like we spent like a about a week, I think, in hotel rooms and stuff, and and like never slept on the street or like had anything serious uh, the way that the people who are really going through it go through it. But like every night, I was like, ah, did I just completely? Do we swear on this thing? I don't know, like just completely fucked myself oh, up and my wife, my <laughs> brand new wife, and and like my life, like. I just made a huge mistake. We're never going to get another job. We're going to run out of money and not have a house and like live in our, out of our car. Like, and like your just mind just goes there. So like I see people on the streets now and like a couple bad decisions or bad breaks and like anybody can be there. Um, 100%, and some people can climb out. And actually if you talk to like the homeless advocates and the people who run shelters and things, most people actually do. Most people aren't homeless for their whole lives or, or even, I mean, everyone's homeless for a significant amount of time to them, but like, I think most of them, it's like a matter of months and yeah. then they sort of get it together. But like, that's like the worst time of your life. And like to have a bunch of people out there judging you and being like a bunch of bums or lazy. I'm like, no, like these are people who are going through the worst period they've ever been in. And it's like, if they're addicted, that's because they are self-medicating because of how terrible their situation is. Yeah. The addiction is the solution. Yeah. You know, they, that's it's helping not, them. I mean, it's not day. a solution, but it's like, it gets it's you their day solution. to day. Yeah. yeah. That's what I mean. Right. Know? Wow. That's an interesting, and it's a catch 22 because if you don't have the job, you can't get the housing and a lot of jobs won't hire you if you don't have a local address. Cause they're like, 
you're right you know or you even live here like what's going on show me your id you know whatever and we did find housing eventually someone was like oh you'll pay us six months in advance great it's like but if you don't have that like if you don't have six months of rent and cash like <laughs> what do you do okay. was that in denver uh boulder. boulder boulder okay yeah yeah and when did you guys come out to the western slope how'd you make that transition we came out in 2018 so we moved to the front range in 2014 then Danielle's parents moved to Junction in 2015 because they lived in Maine, but they wanted to move, and and they were out there. And then they started; they had some health issues. We had a house in the Front Range, but like, you get a you own a house, you get a fixed rate mortgage. You're like, oh, this is great. I got the same payment forever. Yeah. No. <laughs> no Come no, on, no. man. I'm feeling good about myself. <laughs> no, no, no. The rate the rate is fixed, but the taxes yeah. and the insurance and everything else. And we ended up our monthly payment went up by like 60% or something in like three years. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Wow. I thought Colorado was so good at property tax. It's like one of the lowest in the nation. It is. And it, it's better. Like I tell my parents when I pay in property, they live in New York. Yeah. I grew up in Jersey, man. Yeah. Right. Crazy. So, you know, so I tell my parents when I pay in property tax, then they're like, talk about wanting to kill yourself. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, But, but it, it, it was a significant, and it wasn't, it really wasn't the property tax as much as the insurance that was going insane just because the value of our house was going up. We lived up a Canyon in the wildfire area. So like it just, it became, we could have afforded it, but it was, it was difficult. We were like, let's move to a lower cost area. Her parents would have, you know, wanted her near closer by. She wanted to be close to them because, you know, they they had uh, things going on at the time. And so we came out here in 2018 and rented in Palisade and then eventually bought a house here in 2020. Yeah. So, yeah, we've been here almost 10 years. How many people work at the Sentinel? Total? Yeah, total. Okay. I mean, reporters. Oh, reporters? Because um, I see Anne Wright, Char- yeah. Charles. Ashby. Charles Ashby. I see your byline. There was one new one I saw today. Who else is there? So there's uh, Nathan Deal is there. Nathan, that was the one. Yeah, yeah. he's our school reporter, yeah. school and business. Um, Sam Clamhouse is the city reporter now. Um, he took over for me when I became the editorial page editor. Yeah, so we have... And we're hiring a healthcare uh, reporter. We just posted the job today, I think, or yesterday. To cover St. Mary, anything healthcare related in the Valley. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, but, but so you said you didn't have a beat, but you are the, I forgot, you're the editorial page. Not anymore. No. Now I'm, I'm sort of everything at the moment. <laughs> okay. But you did run the editorial page. I did for, yeah. You must have gotten some wild editorial requests on that because that's the fun that's the fun page that's where the opinions fly <laughs> like that's the cable news of the newspaper yeah a bit yeah like, like how many letters do you get that you just don't publish like do you get a lot of letters each day oh um yeah we get a lot we we publish every letter that is publishable okay um, yeah, yeah. so not in print necessarily because we get too many but and maybe it's changed since i stopped being there but essentially if you send us if you send the sentinel a letter that is publishable so it doesn't have profanity isn't libelous we have some other policies just not that, filled not, with hate <laughs> yeah just not attacking other people horribly like racist or sexist or whatever you know just like be be cool essentially yeah, is just the make role. your point be cool be professional yeah um and you get published and and most of i don't know about most of them but like a lot of them end up just going online only because we only have so much space in the on the editorial page but yeah they all get published 
Yeah, that must have been interesting because you're seeing a just spread of society and opinions coming in. Sort of. <laughs> but there's a certain type of person that would write in, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, you. a lot of them are just frequent flyers who write, like, all that's the their time. stick. Yeah. yeah, they love writing on the paper, and that's great, and we, you know you love having them. But um, yeah, so you you see a lot of the same people over and over again. It's sort of sad because you will see a lot of if you watch cable news, you'll see a lot of cable news's opinions repackaged into <laughs> letter to the editor form. Yeah, um, and I don't just mean Fox News, but just in general. Yeah, um, people get their opinions from somewhere else, and that just becomes their opinion. Yeah. yeah. And and so, yeah, you, you get all kinds of people, though. And, like, there are lots of people who write very thoughtful things that come in. Um, but how's the Sentinel doing in terms of, I mean, should we be worried? Because local news is folding <laughs> everywhere, right? So, I uh, mean, I'm so pumped you're here talking to me and just sharing your insights, and I love the work you guys do. But I subscribed to the Sentinel this summer, finally did it. I get the paper Wednesday through Sunday, Thank plus you. online access. But it was only 150 bucks for the whole year. You know, I, which That's I guess, depending on where you stand, it could be Subscribe a lot, could be today. a little. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was a decent deal, you know, yeah. for the paper a couple times a week and keeping up on local things. What should we think about local news? I don't want to be specific to the Sentinel just because I. Yeah, fair enough. One, Let's I didn't tell them I was coming on here. <laughs> um, I meant to. So if you're if you're my boss and you listen to this, I meant to tell you. I forgot. <laughs> um, you're promoting the paper, man. <laughs> I'm promoting. So subscribe race. to the Sentinel. <laughs> um, I would say in general, you should be very, very worried. Really? Very worried. Is that because bigger companies are buying up all the local media? No, I or wish that was just... the case. Like anybody buying local media would be great. <laughs> <laughs> Any money whatsoever coming in. No, it's just like you just look at like I, I look at um, – coal jobs people working coal mines and things and how how everybody's so concerned as they should be that this industry is going away and all these jobs are lost if you look just at newspapers and newsrooms lost way more jobs than coal mines really <laughs> yeah it's not even close wow so it's it's not great the sentinel i will say is doing pretty good again i don't want to be specific it's our only newspaper here in the valley right? um yeah yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, it there's is. TV. the Business Times, I think, is the other, but they, but they're not a daily. No. Yeah. So, no, it's, and the the uh, the TV stations, um, they do what they do, and they do a good job at what they do. But television isn't set up to do local news the same way that a newspaper is. Like, they'll cover a big issue at at city council or whatever, or the county, from time to time. Well, you know, they're looking for a visual aspect. They have different things that they're looking for. So, and they just can't do as many stories. That's the other thing is it's just like you got a 22-minute broadcast with, you know, commercial breaks in there. Yeah. And so, and like a minute of television time is nothing as far as like getting into something. So like versus like a 25-inch story, you can get a lot more information packed in there. 100%. And, and you can read it in about the same amount of time. Like it doesn't take that long, but... So, yeah, it's um, – I worry a lot about local news. Any Ma- Mainly because I would like to continue my career. In it. Totally. <laughs> well, okay, so one comment. You know, I noticed that you guys don't utilize social media that much. Is there a reason for that? I wouldn't say that. I mean, actually like – Last time I went to the Sentinel – Instagram. I think I sent it to you a while back. It was just dead. You like did. the last post was a year or so ago. Yeah, we don't do Instagram. I don't think. I don't know. I don't do much with social media 
myself, we have a like a a digital I forget what her title is, but she does newsletters and social media and all that. But don't you think that would help? Because so many of the young people today who know nothing of print newspapers because mm. they have been dead since they're born, yeah. like wouldn't that help them draw into the news if they could follow it on Instagram and they had some sort of platform to interact with the local news station? Yeah, maybe Instagram. I don't. It, well, for one thing, I don't know how deep into this we want to get, but as, not, uh, as social, deep as it takes, social, <laughs> social media has cratered as far as click-throughs to news sites. Not just local, but like the New York Times, it's like lost like 60, 70% of its click-throughs from Facebook. Really? Yeah. Well, Facebook makes sense because I feel like less people it's, are on there. But it's there. across the board. It's Facebook, it's Twitter, it's Instagram, it's every... Because they're all controlled by like three companies and they've all decided... One, if you don't click through, you stay on our site. And so we get more ad revenue that way. And also, I think they've just gotten a lot of pushback on like fake news and misinformation. And, stuff. and they, I think the easy choice for them is like, then we're just not going to do anything. No news. We're just going to be... Uh, the social media platforms don't yeah, want to do news. We don't want to do much news. That seems to be... I don't have any inside information, but that seems to be the case is they are really de-emphasizing that part of their business model or their algorithm is like, it's a lot. And it makes sense. Like if you, if you think of it from their perspective, it's like, well, wouldn't you rather see pictures of your sister or your, mm. your parents or your uncle or whatever, um, or your friends than whatever I wrote. Yeah. Well, that's a weird thing. Cause Twitter or X or whatever used to be very news generated. Like that was where you would that's follow the reporters. You yeah. would like, you would follow Dan West and you could post your stuff and, and that was less about like, hey, check out the picture of my dog. Yeah. But then that sort of all changed. And now, yeah, like Instagram and Facebook is not centered around people going there f to catch up on what's going on in the news. Where Twitter was at one point, then changed, and now it's God knows what it is now. I don't really go on X or whatever. but <laughs> Yeah, Twitter's a specific case that isn't really... Yeah. And it's, it's got its own things going on. And it's just... it's a. <sighs> Yeah, I see the struggle because it's just such a hotbed for... Okay, so like take this Hamas-Israel conflict. Have you seen all the stuff about the fake videos going around? Yeah, I haven't followed too much of it, but I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not that complicated. Essentially, people were posting videos that were either A, just completely fabricated. Like, for example, one was from a video game. Hmm. And on the other side, they were real videos, but they were a year and a half old right. of some something that took place. But they were spreading on social media as, like, see what's happening right now. Yeah. And then now with the rise of deep fakes and all this AI, it's only going to get worse, right? So I definitely see that there's a danger there. I guess my point, in, to bring it back to this, is just that it's a way, hopefully, yeah, maybe people aren't going to click through. People just read headlines anyway, and then, oh, did you see that story? And it's like, they didn't even read it. They just read the headline, right? Right, yeah. But I just, I think maybe it's just something, like, if we're worried about local media dying, okay, let's at least try and get some people to, rec like, if you think you walked up to a 16-year-old, they would even know what the Daily Sentinel is? I mean, maybe, you know, but I'm saying, you know what I mean? Just get yeah, people more, it's just another way. But I realize you guys have limited resources, probably. Yeah, and I will say for the Sentinel, again, Instagram, probably not. I, I don't know as much about the social side of the, what we do as, as I probably should. But considering other markets I've been in, the Sentinel does a decent job. Usually social from a news side is dominated by your local TV station. 
because social media and just the internet is also sort of a visual medium and yeah. they, they're set up to do that. Post they're, clips. They post clips. It's, you know, it's, yeah, I guess it's hard for a newspaper. What are you going to post, right? You, you could post pictures, but you can't post the story. You yeah. can post the link, which is what we do. And actually the Sentinel is like a, a compared to other markets I've been in is actually a fairly good. Like we get quite a bit of attention on Facebook and, and, I think we did on X. I don't know anymore, <laughs> but um, but like it's better than other papers I've been at, and um, and I it is it helps. It's something. I just don't think anybody's figured it out yet. What exactly will save us? Because there are papers that have gone all in on social and done everything right and everything you could possibly do, and it it still it doesn't bring back a return that's worth the effort. Yeah. Well, to your point, I, I cover Hawaii beat for one of my, my gigs and I'll go to the local news sources a lot to keep in touch with what's going on when I'm not there. And one outlet Hawaii news now goes all in on social media. Yep. They, they're, they're uh, online and, uh, they're a TV station, but they do a lot of online journalism as well. So yep. they'll post clips, they'll post articles, all this stuff. And then other publications there don't really do any. Right. And when you follow Hawaii News Now and just look at the comments, it's never a discussion of substance. It's always usually people who disagree yeah. with the story telling you why the news is out to get you. Journalists are the worst thing in the world. These right. people are lying. They're part of the government, whatever, you know. So it's, I guess it's really not that helpful, but it does create a buzz. It does get people at least involved. It's marketing. <laughs> It's marketing, yeah. So you, people know you're there, and and you know when you get click-throughs, that helps. I, I I don't know what the answer is. A lot of people are looking for it, and if you if you find out, let me know. What do you think of the internet, just in terms of how it's changed? Like it's we have dumpster Let's, let's fire see, right we have now. disinformation, misinformation, and malinformation. I think there's three different categories of bullshit out there. Okay. Yeah, I think the distinction is That's like like intentional misinformation. Yeah, malinformation is like intentional stuff misinformation and disinformation i think it's just a um like a range of like how intensely wrong it is you yeah. know or how accidental it was like oh well this is kind of like a fact checker it's like partly true but it's misleading versus like this is false but it wasn't intentional and then malinformation's like ooh right you know you got it's some like propaganda the, out the there Kremlin does yeah yeah and it's just going to get worse and worse no nah, the information the internet is a dumpster fire we should all get off it I always recommend people who get depressed about the news just to read newspapers because you can consume it in such a a the the writers have put more thought into it because they're not racing to publish a story online quickly to be first to yeah. because you think about how the game has changed right it's just like you have to organizations now are just reacting to the algorithms it's kind of like being on social media to use this example since we're talking about it right if yeah. you post a picture of your dog your friends are going to like it. It's probably going to be minimal engagement though. You know, it's just sure. going to be your immediate circle. But if you post something that's like dogging on Lauren Bobart, then it might spread and you might go viral. Are right? you aware what dogging means in like no. the UK? No. Okay. I'll well, look it up. <laughs> we'll get I up. read it in an Onion article. <laughs> okay. Poor choice of words. This is why, no, 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 this no, is why I'm a Sorry, writer man. and I edit what I do. I'm <laughs> not fit for TV. You know what I'm saying? But if you post something negative or antagonistic right. or yeah. then it has a chance to go viral and you might be rewarded for that. 
and you may get a ton of likes for that. And I right. think this is what influencers are realizing. It's like if you post a certain type of content versus another, you're going to get more of that reward system. And news organizations are kind of going for that too. If you post the big shocking thing, it's going to be better than the you know sweetheart local story. And a lot of that format, I think, is affecting what gets covered, what gets posted, how it gets said, how the headlines get written. Yeah, I, th- I think that's true. I will say, in our case, a couple of years ago, we did a thing where we contracted with a company, and there's a lot of them that do like metrics, like Google Analytics does it. But there, there are some companies that like have like a propri- pri- proprietary system that like goes deeper and like really drills down and tells you like if what you're doing is connecting with people. And it, it gave me a little bit of hope in that our reporters at the time, some, most of them are still there, some are gone, but our reporters at the time, including myself, we were mostly on, like on the right track. Like, and you could sort of, when you work in journalism, whether it's hard news daily or like, you know, whatever, uh, you get a news judgment and a new sense of what what's important to cover and what you know um, what you should be covering and all that. And we were mostly on the right path. And there were stories that we would cover that would not do well analytically. But everybody, including editors, you know, the business side, obviously the reporters who felt they were important to cover, like these are stories that we have to cover that don't get a lot of clicks, but are like important for the public record. Essentially, if somebody comes back in 20 years, and they want to research what happened with Women Park's not a great example, because I'm sure that did very well. I don't actually have the numbers on that one. I didn't look, but, but something like that, something that was a big, important event that maybe didn't necessarily get a lot of views or clicks or, or reads. So that'd be like budget stuff, probably. That's important. And we cover that anyway. But like the other stuff, like we would get really good engagement on things that we thought were important and that we did a good job on. But like we all were like, we know that's going to do well and it did do well. And we all felt good about it. It's not like um, like clickbait stuff. Uh, I'll give you an example. Probably the thing that made me feel the best about my work and local journalism recently anyway. That's very boring. But I did a series essentially on road projects. Some of the most boring stuff you can think of. It's like repaving roads and stuff. But I did this series and it was building up. And each time I did a new story on these road projects and it was like, this is, there's going to be a new bridge built here. This, I think North Avenue was going to be paved was one of the stories. And there's this bus stop that's going to go into this other spot. And each story got better views and it did better. And it was a really important series, I thought from a news standpoint. But I was like, it also like got what really well read. And I was like, good, like we can do that if you put in the effort and... You have the right angle and the right news judgment. Something that is both boring but important can still be read if you do it right. So I, I think there's hope there. I don't like. I don't think we got a ton of subscribers out of that series, but, <laughs> but it was like it was like a case study of like. And I think the Sentinel and just to like sell my my the company I work for that pays my paycheck um <laughs> and you get it if you get the sunday paper every sunday and we don't do a great job of like branding this or advertising it but every sunday the center story the top above the fold is a special story this is something that has been planned for weeks usually mm. it's something somebody's put a lot of time in it's something that the business has invested a lot of money in um really just through the reporter's time but like 
sometimes people will be out of commission for for several days or even a week of doing a story like my the story that I did on the on Women Park was a Sunday Center, and I think I did two other stories that week, and so that took a reporter out of commission for I well Mondays I do something else but essentially like thirty six hours that they really were just getting one story out of me, but they they invest that time they invest that money to do a deeper look, a more expansive story on some issue that we think is important. And there's not a lot of papers, local papers left that do that. I think that's a really, it's it's more valuable. I think readers get it, but they don't necessarily know why what they're getting is different, but it is. They, It's like they would notice if you talked about it, but it doesn't jump. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Maybe it's just a marketing issue. It, I think it probably is. We don't market ourselves um, much it's at all. you guys are so humble. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, you're not on TV pouting how cool we are, like a lot of news stations do. You're just doing your job and doing the reporting. Well, we just don't have a big marketing budget either. Well, you also, yeah, that's <laughs> true as well. Nobody does. So Yeah. What do you think uh, the next 10 years is going to bring journalism, you know, just... Ruin and sadness. There's kind of a war on nuance, <laughs> right? It's like we can't... Like, social media plays into this as well to kind of continue that. It's like, if it's not... Like, it's either got to be love or hate. There's no in-between anymore. People just love to take a side and dig in because that's what sells on cable news, right? There's one thing. I think I think actually social media might be in worse shape than us. Like, their social media is in real bad shape right now. Really? Yeah. I it's think kind of cool to hear. Realize it's just... As an old curmudgeon that I am. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, it's fragmented so much, and the ad dollars have gone down, and now... <laughs> when it, like high interest rates are no good it, it raises everybody's prices and everything but one of the good things it's done is it's sort of exposed which businesses were just full, just air and not actually doing anything so all these tech companies that didn't do anything can't borrow money for nothing anymore that's so they're right all in trouble and i i you know i don't because these all have real people working for them and I don't want anybody to lose their jobs. But I take a little bit of glee in the downfall of some of these more noxious social corners of the internet. Do you think journalism's responsible for the polarized society we have? No. No. I mean, well, okay. The 24-hour cable BS. Yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry. not. Is, and I don't... The journalists that work there, I don't think, are responsible. Like I said, CNN has done great international... Like, the best Ukraine reporting I've seen has been from CNN. I've seen incredible reporting out of the Fox News team. Their their election team might be better than anybody. Um, well, it's, again, it's depends on when you turn on the TV. If you turn on the TV in the morning or early afternoon, it's a totally different experience than you turn on at totally. 8 o'clock at night. I don't turn on the TV. That's part of the problem. Good. But. Well, you shouldn't. I mean, I'm taking this cross up for you, brother. No, no, no. I'll carry it for you. <laughs> All of the cable channels have real journalists doing real good work, but because the opinion stuff is cheaper... And as you said, the the negative or just the strident, like ultra opinionated, whether it's negative or whatever, just like having such a strong opinion, I think that does divide people. Well, they're in it for themselves too. Every freaking news anchor now writes a book. They're like a celebrity. Yeah. Know? Everybody writes a book. Man. Dude, have you yeah. written a book? I have, yeah. Oh, okay. I did. There you I, go. Yeah, it was published in 2019. But the problem with you me find is- Find it at your local bookstore. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, come buy a copy from me. <laughs> the problem was is that I wasn't a celebrity, right? And yeah. so the book industry now, I had this conversation with Kylie Marshall, who was on in a previous episode. 
it's tough for just writers now because the book industry wants to go for people that already have a following. Yeah. Because they just want to sell books. Right. They don't care what Will McGough or Dan West has to say about the world necessarily. They just want to know if the world wants to buy our book. Right. So there's an infinite number of people that can do it. And that's why you see anybody in politics, anybody on TV, they've all written books. Yeah, but they'll end up in the two ninety nine pile like three weeks later. <laughs> yeah, but they get that surge. Yeah, I don't know. But there's so many opportunities for self-publishing too. There like, is. Yeah. Like, so that sort of evens it out, I guess. Have you considered writing? I wrote a book. It wasn't published. You did? What was it about? It was a fiction book. It was like a, like a, like a young adult rock climbing book. <laughs> Dude, let's trade books. No, that's all right. It sucks. <laughs> what do you mean it sucks? Come it on, sucks. you wrote it. You're a good writer. I know. I, I I always mean to go back to it. I only wrote one draft. I need to do more drafts before I could. All right. Well, I'll convince you off the air to do yeah. it. Maybe after a couple more beers. Mm. I think we'll we'll wrap up soon. I gotta have dinner with my girlfriend. But absolutely, just to, yeah, we're going late. Here. Just to uh, like wrap it up. Just the way I've been feeling lately. I'm curious what you think of like the national news. Like, do you see any way where this next election cycle? brings peace and joy to the world it's so crazy man like imagine this right if trump wins yeah you're gonna have all anti-trump people who are f- super pissed off if biden wins you're gonna have a lot of trump supporters who probably will once again say the election was stolen right if biden wins and then something happens to him you have kamala harris become president who no one likes right and you essentially have no other viable candidates i don't know if you've watched any of the republican debates that's my other guilty (laughs) privilege you have gavin newsom who's kind of on the sidelines but he's very polarizing too just because he's from california and he doesn't want to step in front of biden it's just like i'm just trying to look at a scenario i'm like is there a chance that just something will happen where everyone's like, okay, you know what? I feel really good about our country. <laughs> no. Like, there's no way, man. And how is that going to continue? How's that going to get any better? Uh, no, I don't think there's any way where it's going to end and everybody feels happy about the country. I will say one thing about California, because I've been thinking about this recently. Can we all just love California again? <laughs> I love California. Man. I love California, too. I used to live there. I love it. I, I love it. I have family there. California is not its people, and some people in California are annoying. But it's an awesome state. People like, are annoying everywhere. People I are mean, annoying everywhere. Let's just love on the state. It's a good state. It's cool. It's beautiful. The I only hate I hear about California is just literally like late night Fox News talking about how taxes oh. are high or homeless, like San Francisco is destroyed. And I honestly think you could look at anywhere in the world and point out negative things. Sure. I mean, if you've ever spent time in California, it's undeniably a beautiful place. Yes. Growing up on the East Coast in Philly... Right. And you're an East Coaster. Some East Coasters think West Coasters are flaky and soft and too superficial, which you could make a case for that. But West Coasters could say people from the East Coast are assholes. And I'd be like, well, okay, fair enough. 100% (laughs) true. They're accurate. Yeah. I mean, there there are things different. But yeah, I I love California. I used to live in Santa Barbara. It was one of the most magical times of my life and one of the most beautiful places. Oh, my God, dude. It's gorgeous. I go sailing there. That's Not where I, as often as I'd like. But. I bought a sailboat there, and that's where I learned to sail, man. 
Love it's a beautiful place. It's really, let's yeah. do it, man. Dude, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. I think you should come on regularly because you can update us on what's happening in the world and I'll the valley. Just come drink a beer. We can record it if you want. But it sounds great, either man. way. That's basically what the podcast is. Any <laughs> stories or plugs you want to do that you're about to be I don't want to do on? plugs. I would like to answer your question, though, which is that uh, about whether or not the country is screwed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, no, uh, I don't. I don't think it is. I don't. I've been thinking about this because I think, not to get too partisan about it, but I think the fever might be breaking a little bit on just pure crazy. It's with everything that's happening. I don't know if you saw what Trump said recently. Well, about you Hamas. have to be more specific. No, I didn't say. No, it. not what about Hamas. About Hezbollah. What do you say? He said they're very smart. Oh my God! Very, very smart. And and like if you like Trump or you don't like Trump or whatever, this man says things that are just, just weird and not right. And like, and I think eventually it'll break. And it feels like it's gonna break through to where people are like. Whether you liked him or not, it's not good. We shouldn't do this again. And I and I don't know that Biden Biden is like the only candidate and he'll he'll be there for four years. I don't think he's gonna die or anything. Everybody's like, Oh, he's eighty. I'm like freaking Jimmy Carter's still alive. Like <laughs> Yeah, I mean he could make it. Yeah, I mean definitely. Um, but I'm just like I think I think that aspect of it is that and it's and it's not about the politics, about like any specific policy, whether you like abortion or not abort guns or, 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 you know, uh, universal healthcare or any of these other things one way or the other, those are all things you can talk about and debate. It's like, can we just get back to just two sides that can talk and be in the same room and then we all just go to go forward together. We may take a, a left turn here and a right turn there and like, zigzag your way around but like the the thing that bums me out is when it feels like everybody wants to kill each other <laughs> like literally like and you see stories and things on social media now. civil we, war we civil war yeah it's like why would you, know, you even say that aloud it's do crazy you know what we fought the civil the first civil war over it was slavery yeah are we gonna fight this one over like like tweets yeah right <laughs> like what is, what are we doing like and i think that craziness and I don't, and I, and I do think Trump is part of it. And like, again, like I said, I don't want to get partisan about it, but he, that's the world that he lives in is yeah. like the, it's like, we need to hate each other and we don't. And there are other, there are other Republicans who aren't like that, who have a different message. Not a huge fan of everybody in the, in the primaries, but like, I think some of them, if they were to break through or to get to the general would, would change a little. Nikki Haley, I think in particular would probably try to like Trump was the first one who when he won was like I'm I'm the I'm the president of my voters not even the Republican president even really because it's yeah. like if you're a Republican and you don't like me I hate you even more than the Democrats yeah, yeah. it was like I am the president of my voters and that is just not a way we can govern the country so like Biden says I'm a president for everybody George W. Bush says I'm a president the, every other president going through history if you're a presidential scholar and I'm wrong, let me know if Andrew Jackson or whoever didn't do that. But modern history, everybody at least gives lip service to like being a unifier or whatever. And it's important. 
It is very important. It's it's just lip service, but it is important, and you need to do that. And and we and that's why, whatever you think of Trump, if you like his policies, if you if you want us to go in the direction that he wants the country to go in, we need to do it together. We all need to come together and agree to that. Mostly, anyway, um, it's a democracy. There's going to be some people who don't agree, but like, and we all need to try and be. <laughs> You know, be 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 more together about it, at least rhetorically. I couldn't agree more, man. Well said. The thing that I, I mean, being the objective journalist I am, of course, I'm an independent. I don't really get partisan. I am too. I like to see both sides. My dad taught me that from a really young age. That's kind of what drove me into journalism. He really pounded in my head. My sister's very democratic, and he would just troll her by buying her a Republican, like a book <laughs> written by a Republican, and she would laugh. And he's like, "No, I'm serious. I want you to read it. You can hate every word." but just know what the other side is about and just like respect what they're saying. And that's how you're going to grow as a person. And he always instilled that in us. And so I don't care if you voted for Trump. I don't care if you love Biden. I don't care who you vote for. You want to vote for third party. I'm all about it. You cast your vote however you want. You think however you want. But when your own family member screws up, you might acknowledge that, right? right? She'd be like, I love Dan because I'm his mom. But Dan, you can't pick on the little kid. Right. You know, that's wrong. So I'm going to just, I'm going to, I still love you as a person, but I'm going to tell you that act was wrong. Why can't we do that with politicians? Right. Why can't we just have some common sense where it's like, yeah, I voted for this guy because I like his policies, but you know what? I think your behavior right now is a little antagonistic, so I'd love for you to tone that down. I feel like if the public had a little more sense of that, maybe politicians would be like, okay, look, I get it, you know? But again, it's all feeding itself, like we're talking about. The politicians know if they're outrageous, the media is going to cover it. The media knows if they cover it, people are going to click on it. And we love it as a society. We love the drama. Well, and I think we we had that up until Trump. Like, if you were outrageous and ridiculous, and, like, you, a lot of times you just got voted out, Republican or Democrat. He really is unique, and, and it really, I, like, I honestly, is not a partisan thing. He is just no, he different, is. and his hold on people is different, and it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. We'll so, see, man. It's going to be a wild ride, and we're, we're coming into I'm the thick of it. I'm hopeful about that. I'm less hopeful about other things, but I'm hopeful about the, well, the we, coming election. We, I mean, there's so much to be decided even still. Like, is he even going to be a candidate, or is he going to be in jail? Like, there's so much to be decided. Oh, Biden wow. has some investigation going on. If it were a TV drama that wasn't real, it would be must-see TV. No, the whole thing would be they, they w- it wouldn't get made. The producer would be, be like, like, "This is too, this too is not believable. <laughs> this is ridiculous. This is a farce. This is we're we're making a drama. We're not making a, a fantastical comedy. Like, sorry, we can't do this." It's amazing, man. Dan West, thanks for coming on, buddy. Yeah, we need to stop. Thanks here. for your uh, thanks for all your uh, hard work and supporting journalism in the valley. I think everyone Absolutely. should subscribe to the Sentinel. It's only 150 bucks a year. There you go. Support your job. Let's do it. Okay. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for having me. Talk on. again, bud. Yeah. Bye, everyone. Yes. Now I'm riding the terrain, flying high up once again. Got my crew sitting healthy and my boo living wealthy. Level 99, never settle in my mind. So I pedal and I climb up the pedestal and find almighty weapons. So I calm lightly step into the castle, satchel, tackled, wrestled. Down the corridor where I'm grounded through the floor. Round house into my core, down, out, and through the door. Sword down at my side, I gotta round up and ride. Face boss, break jaws till I take off. Face off, stop and swing my serious strike this is it take the title disappear in the night to the whole wide world
the keys to the kingdom overseas with the wisdom guaranteed that my rhythm hit the Slay the boss in the castle when we cross final battle Then I walk out and travel to the Got the keys to the kingdom overseas with the wisdom guaranteed that my rhythm hit the Slay the boss in the castle